This is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you're listening to The Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 42, The Long Twilight Struggle. Sparkly vampires in this one, right? You wish. (laughs) No, I wish. (laughs) And welcome back, everybody, to yet another pivotal turn in the journey that is Babylon 5. It seems like... Is it just me or have I been getting all of the big episodes the last few weeks? <laughs> that's that's how it's been turning out. I guess I didn't realize that the rhythm of the show of Babylon 5 was just like, you know, big episode, two episodes that are may or may not be big-ish, and then big episode, and it's just, it's landed on you. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, until we started, you know, doing our rotation, it's like, it just mm-hmm. sort of started falling into place. Well, right. we've got two more episodes after this one in the series season. Mm-hmm. So uh, not that series. Means... This is not Doctor Who. Right, right, right. <laughs> so that means that one could expect, without it being a spoiler, that a season finale would probably be a big episode. So sure. Erica's going to get a big episode if we keep our rotation as is, and then Shannon gets a season premiere. Which is also, also probably, big. probably so. Basically, it sucks you being get to chip. Chill. No, you get to chill. <laughs> chill, she <Right> says. <laughs> Anybody have any comments before we jump in? I cannot believe that we are at episode forty-two already. I cannot believe that we are almost done with season two. It just—it doesn't it's really flowed. seem possible. Yeah. It, really I, it, it, it may seem like it's flowed really fast to you all. But as the guy who edits these, <laughs> I keep offering to tell. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> then let's go ahead and get started so Chip can go ahead and get this one edited. When does the hurting stop? <laughs> anyway, what you need to know. One, the Narn and the Centauri have been at war for several months, but the Centauri have been cheating through Londo Malari's association with the Shadows. Londo made this deal with the devil quite some time ago. Two, there is a very powerful machine on the planet Epsilon-3 next to where Babylon-5 was constructed. It requires a living being to power it. Last year, the caretaker died, and Dral, Delenn's mentor, took its place. In this episode, Dral decides it's time to meet Captain Sheridan and invites him and Delenn down for a visit to the planet. He tells them just how far-reaching his awareness has become and promises full support to the army of light that is beginning to form. Meanwhile, the Centauri get wind of the Narn's preparations for a desperate all-out assault on the Centauri supply lines. Rifa persuades Londo to have the Shadows ready to attack the Narn fleet, while the bulk of Centauri forces attack the Narn homeworld itself. The Shadows wipe out the Narn fleet, The Centauri use prohibited mass drivers to pound the planet with asteroid debris, and after four days of rampant destruction and death, the Narns surrender. Londo uses the terms of Narns' surrender to strip Jakar of his ambassadorial position. Finally, Delenn introduces Sheridan to the Rangers and gives him co-leadership of the group. And that is the long twilight struggle. Inconsequential, really. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. I would like to give some some bonus props to this episode for actually having the title in the episode someplace. There's a character yeah. that says this that long actually quotes struggle. The, yeah, mm-hmm. which is apparently something from John F. Kennedy. 
originally, mm-hmm. if ah. I remember, that, that it's an actual phrase from our history. It had um, the ring of, of, of a quote taken from somewhere, mm-hmm. but I wasn't familiar with what. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it was delivered by John Shuck, which means it's not the long twilight struggle. It's the long <laughs> twilight struggle. Heck yeah. Oh, do we want to start there with, with our acting people? Can we? Because sure. that's just fun. <laughs> it really is in this episode. It really I mean, it's it's not always fun to start with the guest actors in Babylon 5 and uh, gosh darn it, I had a great time with it this time. <laughs> yeah, uh John Shuck is um yet another in the Murder She Wrote list. Uh and actually had to take the part because uh Louis Turin who played Drawl back in season 1 had some health issues and could not play the part for this particular episode. So they had to recast and they had to throw in a couple of lines to explain why the recast, which overall, I guess, works. And yeah, gives us Mr. Bombacity and personified. Mr. Bombastic, Mimbari, Fantastic. I don't know. Uh, No, we don't need another song, Chip. Sorry, I'll stop now. (laughs) Unless it's it's another song that you're actually writing and singing. No, no, no. That would be be excellent. I'll be good. Um, (laughs) But but I just, I thought the the lines explaining why he looked different were hilarious. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just, you know, knowing that it's a a different actor. Um, I I don't think Steven even noticed that it was a different actor. Oh, no. (laughs) So they were extra, you know, underneath, underneath makeup, I... I honestly, I don't even know if I would have noticed the difference because oh. it was so long ago. I mean, if this was an episode that we had just seen, like if I just rewatched it, then sure. But we're talking, I mean, at this point in real time, oh my gosh, I don't even know a how year. long ago it was. It's about a year since you yeah, since so there's in real no time. no way that I would have would have remembered that. But but knowing that he was a, a different actor made those lines actually kind of so, funny. So I went to, uh, I immediately after watching this, I uh, pulled up, because I've ripped all the DVDs, and I pulled up a voice in the wilderness uh wherein lewis turin played draw and he's stepping off of the shuttle at the beginning of the episode and he's got a beard and he is mm-hmm. so much older and he really side by side no uh-uh no resemblance whatsoever it's not healthier it's not younger it's not you know it's no resemblance whatever but because it's been a year it's okay it's mm-hmm. all okay and really, I like I, I I mean, i'm I'm sure either actor would have been great, but I really, really like his performance here. The yeah. bombacity is it's delightful. he's he's sort of a little bit avuncular, um, but at the same time, like underneath that that sort of happy go lucky seeming nature, it is there's a real edge underneath. He's sort of like a a friendly mob boss. So he's the kind of guy, <laughs> you know, he's the kind of guy who you can hang out with and you he's have a laugh, space but, mob. But yeah. yeah, but if you if you betray him, ooh boy, look out. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it because um, one of the things that sort of was ringing for me this time around watching it is you know the the performance itself isolated is is fun and funny and you know and is uh, is fun to watch but he no longer reminds me of a mimbari because mm-hmm. of he is so wide open and that is not what we have seen from the mimbari so far as we've been watching the the show and you know my headcanon is that you know the experience inside the machine and seeing so much mm-hmm. more of the galaxy has helped sort of you know do this um and brought out this carefree side of him but the contrast still really surprised me. Yeah, I love it. He, he's almost mocking himself. 
he's in the heart of the great machine and he has phenomenal cosmic powers and he's not going to mess around with this no he's not going to go there he's not going there because he's not the (laughs) tiny genie he's he's not but i i love how ponderous he is when he appears in sheridan's quarters and he talks about the vastness of the machine and all of a sudden and suddenly he stops and says, i could come back If you know, you know, if you want to, if you want to dry your hair and get your get your get your clothes on, and Sheridan says, "Oh no, oh no," and 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 he goes back into theatrical mode. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's. I don't think to use the phrase uh, to use the vernacular. I don't think John Shuck is taking the piss. <laughs> I think Drawl is. Yes, I think he's having. I I I think I think he's. I think it's his sense of humor. And I love how Sheridan is just sort of standing there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and and and, and tries you know, to speak and then gets cut off and, and, and yeah, and he he's 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 like, I'm standing here in my bathrobe and you're being dramatic. <laughs> and and it, it there's this mixture of respect and also I'm just this guy's audience. I may as well deal with it <laughs> you know you gotta think he spends all this time he spent the last this six months or however long it was in the machine uh you know trying to figure things out he doesn't get a chance like to a talk year. to people yeah. except for zathras and now he's uh he's gonna take his chance when he's he's communicating <laughs> with somebody he's i feel like he's yeah. playing it up the, as much as he possibly can and having as much fun with it as he can because he hasn't had a chance in a long time this is a rarity for him <laughs> it is an over-the-top performance it is what i think of not being british it is what i think of when i hear people talking about panto <laughs> but okay i think it's but again, I don't think it. I think it's the guy. I think it's a draw. I think it, the character mm-hmm. is just that broadly drawn. Yep. And 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 uh, older draw. I almost said young draw, but that's backwards. Uh, Louis <laughs> Turin's draw had a bit of that. He had that. He had that. He had sparkle. the humor, but yeah, it was still very Mimbari. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and towards the end, and at the end of that episode, Louis Turin's draw was very tough. On mm-hmm. Varn's people and on, you know, anybody coming here will get killed and all that stuff. You know, it all tracks. It's just a little different. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's a really it's it's more effective recasting than it has any right to be. It's definitely no Mary Kay Adams. <laughs> no, here, definitely here. not. <laughs> well, now that we've gone on about John Shuck for a little bit, um, our other major guest actor is, hey, W. Morgan Shepard's back. <laughs> and he's Again. not oh no he actually gets to like talk <laughs> real words yeah steven's comment was wow he's a really good actor who spent his career in prosthetics because <laughs> apparently he was on star trek uh as well yes, yeah. yes he has point, been so. on several episode d- iterations of star trek yeah and yeah john um, shuck needs to be on doctor who we need to get that uh, <laughs> Ooh. but yeah it's a great character there He's he, he's definitely showing his acting range, you know. He's he's not the crazy soul hunter here. He is real. He is the kind of person that you can see as having risen in the ranks to be one of the highest generals or war leaders, uh, whatever the phrase was. A realist, not a stereotype. Um, mm-hmm. He's just a he's just 
he is he looks like a immensely respectable uh, general type um which is nice to which is nice to see because most of the time when we've seen the narn as a military group up until the narn centauri war came out you know they were aggressors and they were uh mustache mustache twirlers to a to a certain extent um or at least that was the impression that we were given um you feel so bad for this guy when he gets killed Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He definitely wasn't, you know, generic Narn number three, uh, which right. is, you know, not that we've had any terrible Narn performances that I can remember, um, <clears throat> except for Mary Kay Adams. Um, but <laughs> I, I feel like he has come alive as uh, an actual character, I think, more than any of the other guest Narns that we've had besides Natoth. Uh, Natoth one, Julie Caitlin Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So he's been I, 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 I've really missed missed him when he was gone i was just like i, <laughs> yeah. I want to see this guy's reaction to the way to the way this has come out I, I feel like his if he were able to see where he went wrong and you know if jagar had been able to say i told you so not that he would because this is just such a terrible thing but mm-hmm. i just i feel like Plus he would have his uncle he wouldn't oh no yeah. uh, but i feel like he would have played that that continuation out very well and i would love to have seen this character go forward so mm-hmm. um, yeah i was definitely sad when he was killed yeah, same thing, just, you know, seeing, you know, a different type of Narn, as you said, um, the vast majority of the background Narns have been fairly, fairly generic and uh, playing the heavy and, you know, actually seeing mm-hmm. somebody who, you know, has knows his Warcraft, is has weighing the risks and the um, potential, the potential value of the plan going forward. Yeah, he was able to give a pretty nuanced performance within a few minutes, mm-hmm. which was very nice. This episode doesn't have a single bad acting performance in it our, our three guest stars are john shuck and morgan shepherd and of course william forward mm-hmm. lord Rifa. Rifa's back. with some amazing eyebrows i mean holy cow <laughs> those are attack eyebrows right there all the better to stroke the throne with. Oh. that was Ugh. the first thing Ugh, i creepy. noticed is creepy. Just, him, just stroking that throne that he thinks he's going to sit on yeah he's like huh. You, but, but yes, William Ford just keeps doing the perfect job of making a totally detestable character. Props yep. to the man. <laughs> yep, bravo. And great chemistry with all three guest stars um, and the regulars that they play against, and that that doesn't happen enough in Babylon Five. But this mm-hmm. is, you know, we haven't even gotten to the the, the story the or the pacing or any of that <laughs> stuff. You know, just. just this is such a well-acted episode, top to bottom. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, even between just the regulars, I mean, one of my favorite scenes, it's just very brief, uh, but at the end, when Londo comes back on yes. Babylon 5, and Garibaldi is there oh, waiting yes. for him, and just, oh my god, you could cut the tension in the air with a knife. Uh, it, you know, Jerry Doyle, has it, he's kind of hit or missed if, as far as my the way I react to his performance, and this was just spot on. And, so you know, cold, so cold. Oh, he is, he's mm-hmm. just, well, I think Londo's the one that's cold, and I think I think Garibaldi oh, I is actually seething with with hot rage, but gotcha, he's holding gotcha. it in. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's just like it's like seeing two weather fronts come together, the hot and the cold. And like there's <laughs> all, you can almost see the, the roiling tension in the air in between them. It was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. That that scene was in my notes, just the, not just because of the way they acted against each other, but the way it represented the total shift of attitude um, to the Centauri. 
based on you know what they what they have just done um this i think this is you know this it feels like the harbinger of things that might be coming that Mm -hmm. that the centauri have suddenly put themselves on the wrong side of a line they didn't know existed yeah when when you think back to series one um or season one (laughs) uh just the the narn and the centauri have sort of flip-flopped a few times as to you know who's the aggressor who's the the wronged party and here we have i think more clearly than anywhere along the way uh, really fallen into the boy, the Centauri's are the great big bully meanies, and the Narns are just screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The status, the status quo has completely changed. Mm-hmm. Completely. Yeah, and before we get too far into that, um, it, you said you know performances top to the bottom. Um, mm-hmm. What other things leaped out at you guys from our regular actors? I mean, I liked Sheridan and Delenn's chemistry just continues to flow very well you know he's charging off to go figure out how he's going to get to epsilon three and she joins him and he's like well i've got to and she's like yes i know and she's just sort of juts her chin out it's like you know let's go we're ready um you know things like that um i don't uh, i don't know how much of it is the um absence of her old bald head prosthetic but at the beginning of this episode, when she is bathed in the glow as a draw begins to appear and mm-hmm. that smile warms up and she said, hello, mm-hmm. old friend. I don't recall her smiling like that in any episode before. She is just so warm, so yes. welcoming. So she's suffused with joy. And I don't recall her being joyful, you know, well, genuinely she, joyful in that first season. I, I mean, it's it's amazing. And she really is all the way through this episode, at least every single time she's on screen withdrawal. Like even at the end, um, uh, at the end of their visit on Epsilon 3, she just as she's walking along with him, she just has a smile on her face. And then Sheridan scurries off so that she has her last few moments with him. And she just she's beaming even as they're, you know, putting their hands out to each other's chests to say goodbye. It's it is a a different sort of leave taking than it was from the, you know, if it. If I think about her mm-hmm. with original drawl back in the day, and and I, I remember noting that her reaction to him was much warmer than her reactions mm-hmm. to anything else at the time, this is just an order of magnitude even warmer than that was. Yeah, well, Minbari are supposed to be reserved. and Well, she's no longer 100% Minbari. <laughs> that, there so you go. That, there that's you go. part of what I think yeah. is, you know, we're continuing to see her personality affected by the change that she's gone through. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I throughout this episode, mm-hmm. um, Shannon, you might want to take your earbuds out for a minute, but I had kind of a crush on her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling. <laughs> Come on, that's right. Lists. You can you can tell Stephen on me uh, because my my other favorite acting scene in this was after Drawl visits Sheridan. Um, and then he he's walking down the hall and Delenn comes up. He says, I'm in a hurry. And, and Delenn's like, yes, he appeared to me too. And she's like, you know, I think we better get going if you're in such a hurry. And she walks off. And, just and his, the, yes, his face. Yes. It's just, <laughs> it is so adorably bemused. Like he just doesn't know what has just hit him. He's not sure what's going on, but it's just so cute and sweet. I yes. love it. Yeah. Yes. This is a fantastic performance by Bruce Boxleitner in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he is nonplussed by drawl he is gracious to delin he is awestruck on the planet 
I, I like the little bit when they return to the station, the station's just gone to hell in a handbasket, and he's making sure that the security guards get to lend her quarters safely, yep. so he's being mm-hmm. he's being dad there. And chivalrous. Um, chiv- yes, chivalrous. Um and then in the um council chambers. Council chambers, yes. Um he starts off going to his you know, Earth Earth requests observers, and Londo just cuts him off. And that actually throws him back a little bit because he is, you know, he's got a weak hand now. He mm-hmm. and 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 he knows it. But yeah. then he gets the he's chance able- to get he, he gets the chance to take the high ground again uh, when Londo tries to get Jakar uh, sent off for trial. And, you know, but we didn't sign that treaty. Yeah. And and. Yeah. <laughs> I love Box Lightner in this episode. I'm a big old Sinclair fanboy, but this is just awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, between yeah, the two of them, we get um, Andreas Katsoulis and Peter Jurassic. I mean, together <laughs> and separately. Um, mm-hmm. There's just so many bits that they do so well in this episode. Um, just I'm especially floored by all the things that Katsoulis is able to bring to the table with you know his his worry that the um that the mil- that the plan is too risky and it's going to fall apart um that scene that's intercut with the battle as he's praying oh yeah and I the candles that. and he's going for so long and the candles just gradually keep darkening darkening burning out burning out until there's like the one left that he snuffs out when he's done um and then of course his speech in the council chamber at the end you know just pointing out flatly this is not over <laughs> that you know the narn will we will one day we will be free again. This is a good episode for speeches, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. It really is. Should we? I mean, I mean, maybe it's old fashioned. I mean, um, we don't see a whole lot of speeches in television, recent Doctor Who episodes notwithstanding. Uh, <laughs> but um, we have that Parliaments of Conquerors speech that Sheridan mm-hmm. delivers at the end. We have Jakar. Um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 There's good no greater stuff. Need than for freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's contrasted a bit with Centauri as you know, Londo's trying to see backtrack and you know doesn't want to be even more beholden to the shadows and all of that. And you've got him and Rifa just being starting to get nasty. Rifa's just plain nasty to him. You know, ink on a page, just just things mm-hmm. like that. The con- the contrast is amazing. It's great. And even Drawl, it gets a little speechifying, you know, his his talk about the long twilight struggle that lies ahead. Yeah. And, you know, there is the possibility of hope. It's it's speechy all over the place, but not in an like it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It just feels mm-hmm. natural coming out of yeah. all of those different mouths. JMS really likes to write elevated dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he is a wordy is not the right word, but, you know, he belabors his dialogue. <laughs> whether it's whether it's uh, speechy or it's intended to be um, intimate or jokey, you know, he it's you can see his fingerprints on a lot of stuff. It's like eloquent plus. Yeah, eloquent, <laughs> pl- eloquent plus. And this time we have a we ha- we have so much of that. And the given whether it's the direction or just the inherent skill of the actors, it all lines up beautifully. It's gripping stuff. It is. It feels operatic. It feels epic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and on the flip side, um, 
there there's the scenes where there is no real dialogue. I mean, how good is Peter Jurassic when Londo is watching the bombardment of the Narn homeworld? There is not a single word said. And yet you can see all of those emotions just flowing across his face as he tries to figure out what the F have I done? That's, I think, one of the most powerful scenes in in all of the Babylon 5 that we have seen so far is that scene with absolutely no dialogue. You're right. How about that, the, the genius framing of the shot when Jakar is beginning to give his speech and he's in the foreground out of focus while Peter mm-hmm. Jurassic is in focus in the background listening to Jakar's speech. And you're just, there are hundreds of emotions running over his face. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That was, that was, I actually like, I think I might have said, said something out loud just when, at the framing of that shot. I was just like, oh, nice. Because it was so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything else we can say about acting? We can move on to directing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yes. Um, no, well, it's not exactly acting. It's not exactly directing. It's, it's just funny. I love how everybody's set up for a shower scene with Susan Ivanova and no, it's a shower scene with John Sheridan. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That was pretty funny. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, um, this was one, you know, that, um, I don't always pick it up when, um, what directorial choices are made. Um, but there were things I feel like I noticed in this episode. I mentioned the lighting earlier, like um, yes. in Jakar's quarters as things get darker. I also really, it, it leaped out at me this time when Jakar goes to Sheridan to ask for sanctuary, how they very deliberately show the shadow of Jakar approaching into the door before he even gets there, like this sort of looming presence um, that struck me as d- effectively dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, also the in the Centauri, I don't know if it was the throne room they were still in, but the uh, when when Rifa and Londo are talking about back and forth uh, about bringing the shadows in to try to help out the lighting in that room is so, so dramatic and so effective. You get lots of shadows on Londo's mm-hmm. face. And anytime you see shadows on Londo, it's just like, oh, 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 I see what you're doing there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it's a I'm having trouble thinking of, well, I've got one negative that I can think about the story, um, mm-hmm. and it's actually uh, it's actually script-wise, but as far as the performance and the acting, you know, I think I, I might like to see uh, a Centauri throne room to be a little more lavish, perhaps, a little more spacious, but that's not the kind of budget that Babylon 5 has, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but... Um, this episode looks incredible and the actors are do such a great job it's you know it's i did not recall this episode as being as feeling so flawless Mm -hmm. i mean we've got we've got a series finale coming up we had uh the coming of shadows this season you know we've had some big stuff um I didn't remember how well executed this episode was, as important an episode as it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, um, does it? This was something that occurred to me. Um, does it feel like it's too soon for the Narn and Centauri to to suddenly for that conflict to be over? 
I don't know that I would say too soon, but I would definitely say sooner than I would have expected, given mm-hmm. everything that, that has gone on before. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially knowing that their previous conflict was this drawn out thing that lasted 100 years. And I mean, anytime you have any kind of a real, um, you know, drawn out space war where there's so much territory involved, like you just assume it's going to take a long time. I really had the feeling that we were settling in for the long haul and it mm-hmm. was going to be the Narn versus the Centauri was going to be the thing that was just driving us forward um, as the nucleus of, of whatever is to come, you know, mm-hmm. all the way along. And then all of a sudden, like they <laughs> pull the rug out from under me and, you know, launch asteroids and giant rocks at the planet, which, I mean, that's that's a, a thing that I have seen used in, in multiple multiple different science fiction um, arenas where, you know, if you if you get a, a rock going towards a planet and it's big enough that it's not going to burn, burn up in the atmosphere, you mm-hmm. know, that's that's better than a nuclear bomb and mm-hmm. a heck of a lot cheaper to produce. So, uh, yeah. you know, just massive, massive destruction and, you know, a jaw agape that, mm-hmm. that they would take this step, you know, kind of like the characters in the show felt. So I was yeah. I was surprised from a narrative standpoint as well. Yes, this was not where I expected them to go. So I think it hit uh, with a, a, an even bigger punch than it would have if this would have say, come later or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we were given a hint in and now for a word right. that something like this was coming because... Yeah, we've heard the of whole, the term mass the, drivers. Yeah, the whole, plot, the whole plot of that involved weapons transfers at the station involving Centauri, involving mass drivers, which are forbidden technology um, as, uh, as ha- was discussed in this episode. So my, my only quibble about this episode is that Londo is just a little too shocked that Rifa intends to use mass drivers on Narn because mm. because he knew full well that they were transferring mass driver equipment um at B5 earlier this season. Now you could argue that this was you know this is classic nuclear warfare brinksmanship defensive stuff, you know. We have mass drivers. If you if you do something bad to us, well, we're prepared to mutually assured destruction or whatever. But you know, it, it that's just one thing that rings a little false for as far as information that we were given in previous episodes. On the other hand, we need to be told as an audience how devastating mass drivers are going to be, and the easiest way to do that is for Londo to be horrified. I still, I think it makes. I still think it makes sense because, I mean, I to, the way I read it is that is that Londo has kind of had his head in the sand a little bit. Like, you know, he's he says in yeah, this episode that, I, that he's yeah. starting to have worries about his allies because of you know just their amount of power and his his whole role in and now for a word was to basically brush it off and you know, and be like, oh, you know, the, they're lying about this, they're lying about that, and we should be able to do this. I I don't think that he was really um, taking on board <laughs> emotionally all of the the stuff that these ships were supposed to have because it was his job to deny it for so long. I think he actually he he actually started to sort of believe that himself. And I don't think that he ever let himself stop long enough to think that these things might actually get used against, you know, a, a planet. Um, you know, you know, it's possible that mass drivers have some other, you know, possible use somewhere and that's that's why they exist maybe he just thought they were going to be used for something else or or yes that it was just sort of a you know cold war tactic to try to to try to be scary and and so his reaction at at the 
the fact that they're actually being used still rang true for me because I thought that perhaps he, you know, even if he knew that they were out there, the, you know, it's it's almost like it, the look on his face is because, oh, my God, I should have known. Why did I not see this? Yeah, possibly. Uh, for me, I think he was still most of Alondo's issues were the fact that um, the Centauri are just getting further and further and further in, in debt to the shadows. Uh, the more often they call on them. And I I think the majority of his focus has been that. So mm-hmm. I, I could see, yeah, the, the mass drivers thing sort of flying under his radar until um, Rifa points out that, yeah, we're, we're actually going to, you know, bomb them, bomb them back into the Stone Age. He didn't even know what was going on on Centauri, remember, yeah. until, he, until he had to kill his friend. So he may not have even been paying attention to what was supposedly on those ships and had, you know, never really known. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. That interchange between, you know, when, um, you know, we have no intention of bombing, of, of invading, flattening, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a harsh, harsh episode. The politics are just so harsh. Um, mm-hmm. At the end, when Londo, the audacity that Londo and the council chambers, after they have devastated the planet with weapons of mass destruction... The audacity of him to announce that the Kari will stand trial for war crimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Against against, against the Centauri. The Centauri. What right. a laugh, except totally not funny. It, totally not funny. Um, you know, you know, geopolitics in the U, on Earth in late 2015 have been pretty bloody awful. To see what's been, to see what goes on in uh, in this episode, um, how ruthless the Centauri are, and how compliant Londo is. I mean, regrets at the beginning of the episode and during the bombardment. Um, and I'm not even sure it's regret; it's just sort of horror. Mm-hmm. But he still reads out that list of he still reads out that list of demands he's still so uh, cold and um and, and officious uh to garibaldi mm-hmm. it's about power it is about the centauri reclaiming their space in the universe um but it's 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 about overwhelming your enemies and when londo steps onto babylon 5 he is fully prepared to see Sheridan and Garibaldi and maybe even Delin and everything on the station as an as a potential obstacle to the Centauri. I mean, he's been working all this time. He wants to see his planet and his people mm-hmm. back back at the uh, at the the top of the heap in the galaxy. He wants to see them as you know taking back their place in the universe as conquerors. And I feel like he just sees you know his his friendship with Garibaldi and you know all of the relationships that he had made on the station. Like that's it. It, it looks like well he decided that's a that's a fair trade. These are things I had to give up, and this is the this is the thing that's important to me. And you know heck maybe even the whole Narn planet home planet uh mm-hmm. worth trading for getting my planet back to the stars we are so far away from this guy trying to steal a card <laughs> <laughs> with one of his unmentionables yes mm-hmm. so far away so a couple other things that occurred to me as far as the actual Narn Centauri conflict of the fairly blatant um, allegories 
to World War II, um, the final strike idea of, um, you know, the Centauri as the U.S. sending uh, the nuclear weapons to Japan to, you know, cut it off, end this now, um, rather than let it drag on anymore. Save um, thousands of uh, Centauri lives. Right. At the price of how many millions of Narn. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> The um, and also some of the demands of the um, Centauri over the Narn. They're just, you know, incredibly harsh and brutal, but they also have parallels in history of um, the demands the Nazis often made on the Jews during that part of the war when uh, the idea that if a Jew was found guilty of attacking a Nazi, that um, that like 10 or 20 or 100 uh, Jews might get rounded up and slaughtered. When Franklin and Jakar are discussing, you know, Centauri tactics, um, and mm-hmm. Jakar's having the same conversations with uh, Justin, you know, yeah, he's this, the Cassandra voice again. Yeah, but um, the the Centauri have been historically um, cautious. They've uh, solidified their gains before they've gone forward. Um, there was talk early in the or early in the war when Jakar was trying to line up help. That, you know, the Centauri were being sufficiently cautious that if they got enough help from the other races and made enough of a stand, the Centauri would falter. We know that everything is different now because the Centauri have employed the shadows. The Centauri have leapt past uh, some of the worlds. They went straight to the home world and they went in big and devastating. Um, you know, the it's it. The Centauri have a personality that's revealed in the tactics that they used in the past and the tactics that they're using now. And I find that fascinating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple of other things uh, that we might mention. Hey, how about those special effects? Because we have even more prolonged battle scenes in space than we've ever had before um, to the point where the uh, Centauri attack on Narn was actually directed by uh, John Tesca and Mojo Leibowitz um, of our extra some time ago uh, directed the Shadow Narn battle. So um, you had these uh, technicians, the um, special effects crew responsible for a pretty big chunk of this episode. I am well known for getting bored by action sequences. If it's if it's a gunfight sh- or a laser fight or a space battle, usually I am the first person to roll my eyes and kind of like look at my watch and tap my fingers until it's over. And yet, occasionally, they really work for me. And this episode was was one of those. Actually, two of those because I enjoyed both of those scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Narn homeworld home scenes really got me because just the emotional, like I was just overwhelmed by what was happening. Seeing that level of destruction uh, made it much more exciting. Seeing Londo's face framed in that window the way that we saw it and then and then cutting to an exact reverse shot of his reflection in the window. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was just very artfully done and kept my attention. And then when we switch over to the shadow battle, shadows versus the Narns, it was, I mean, as I said to Stephen, you know, he was, I think he was enjoying it because he likes that kind of thing more than I do. But I said, imagine seeing this back in the days when everything wasn't CG. This was the first thing that mm-hmm. you ever saw that looked remotely like this. And you have these ships that just, they're freaking scary looking. I mean, even now, I still think they're freaking scary looking. But oh, at yeah. the time, uh, it was it was mind blowing because it was unlike anything that I had ever even imagined before. So so watching these these things, you know, shooting out a, a little, what looked 
looks like a little ball, and then that ball just like explodes into a bunch of tiny little other crab ships <laughs> going mm-hmm. out. And she, I mean, it was just it seemed very creative, but like creative out of like a really dark mind. So it was <laughs> it was it was effective on multiple levels. So I had yeah. no trouble watching these action sequences, even though they were a little longer than I usually like. Yeah, and just seeing more of the capabilities of the shadows, like you said, the fact yes. that they can deploy the fighters in that way, uh, the fact that apparently you know when one of them gets damaged badly enough another one could just like go pick it up you know it's almost like you know a a person picking up a friend yeah Uh, they stack together like legos and they can destabilize um you know a jump point Mm -hmm. whoa yeah i love the i love when the one shadow vessel uh just sort of vomits out a uh capsule that breaks up into loads of shadow fighters yep Mm -hmm. that's um and, and 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 the the animation quality is great. The staging of the space battle is great. These are these the fight begins at a very long distance away. And up until the very end of the fight, you rarely see both sides in the same shot. Mm-hmm. You and, and that's very realistic. And yet it is dramatic. Um, because that you know you have the distance fighting that happens with the mines going in the one direction and fighters getting launched in the other direction and then um, just it just sort of builds and builds until finally Justin's had enough we've got to get out of here and then um, the shadows take care of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the only other thing I can think of is that the um, the episode, you know, continues to um, reward people who've been paying attention. Um, Erica already mentioned how um, Londo mentions, um, you know, a friend dying. And, you know, that's Urza from a few episodes ago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and the Earth senator that gets quoted that the Centauri were bombing the Narn back into the Stone Age, that was Senator Quandrell from and Now for a Word. Um, we actually ah, heard I his wondered. name. Yeah. And even to like small silly things like, you know, apparently Delenn has gotten interested in Earth slang and um, and profanity after talking to Sheridan because now she's going to try and use some of it. Absolutely, damn it. And <laughs> yes! then when she's trying to and then when she's trying to figure out which corridor to go down, the way she sets her jaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, she is adorable. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, but it just there seems like so many things tie in very well to the episode. Um, little things as well as the major conflicts. Have we squeed this much over any episode? Even even coming of shadows, I, I we have been squeeing so. an awful lot. Oh, yeah, I think we have. <laughs> um, yeah, th- this episode. I don't know. Maybe we're just glad to be back. Um, that could be for it. us. Because be it. for us, it's been like uh, a month. So. Mm-hmm. I want to give another shout out to uh, Dr. Franklin. Um, uh-huh. Chip, Chip mentioned just a little bit about, you know, t- talking uh, back and forth. But I, I just want to point out character wise, that's kind of a cool thing that he is. He's keeping his eyes open. He is a yeah. savvy guy. He is the one that spots the, the you know, irregularity in the way that the Centauri have been been moving so which which shows that not only does he pay close attention to his patients which is something that we would expect mm-hmm. from his character but he knows the way that the centauri operate in war and is able to sort of put that together with what he knows about the mimbari actions during the last days of their war so mm-hmm. i mean he's he's got that analytical mind and he's putting things together and then you know we know he was instrumental in the uh, the underground railroad uh, for the telepaths and stuff so he it, 
he's not afraid to pass along information through channels that, you know, maybe maybe could get him in trouble if if he was uh, known at, at higher levels. But he's still trying yeah. to help out and do the right thing because he's that guy. Yeah. And I also think he would certainly be more willing to do this because, um, you know, he's he is on the front lines of the results of the battle. He's the one. His med lab is the one that's been processing all of the Narn mm-hmm. refugees and all of the wounded. There's not really any wounded Centauri coming through. So he's, yeah. his sympathies, you know, at this <laughs> point seem to lie clearly with the Narns. And since he's in a position to, to do something, he does. And my last thing that I that I noticed here was just a, a random casting thing. Uh, when the war is announced and you get the scene of the bar in the Zocalo mm-hmm. where you've got some, some Narn and some Centauri at the bar. And, of course, a fight breaks out. One yeah. of the three Narns that are at the bar is actually one of the women. Is yes. The one in the middle is a woman. And yes. she she's fighting just as hard as the guys oh, are, yeah. which is a nice touch. I love that kind of subtle stuff because yeah. it just, yeah, it makes the world seem real. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Well, if we're good, then we're going to move on and shift towards the section of our talk where we talk about everything that's coming as well as everything that uh, has come before in this episode. So uh, this is the time for those of you who are watching for the first time to say goodbye until next time. Unless you want to be spoiled. Indeed. (laughs) And why would you? (laughs) I don't know. Um, But your homework for next time is the episode Comes the Inquisitor. We will be talking about that episode in two weeks. In the meantime, we invite everyone to come and talk with us about uh, current episodes, previous episodes, um, and future episodes. If you go to our website, uh, b5audioguide.com, where we always have discussion threads for both the veterans and the newbies so that everybody has a place where they can talk freely. Uh, We are also on Twitter and Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide. And come and see us. And now let's cross our fingers and try this jump. Phew, we made it. (laughs) Thankfully, there weren't any shadows shooting uh, destabilizing balls past us. (laughs) That could have been troublesome. Not Mm -hmm. this time. Okay. So as I was... Uh, preparing thoughts and notes for this episode, um, it occurred to me that kind of like another recent episode, and of course I'm blanking on exactly which one, but maybe it was Divided Loyalties, but this sort of wraps up a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, it does start some new things or updates us on things in progress, I guess is what you could say with the Drawl storyline. But, you know, it's not necessarily foreshadowing as hard as other episodes have. What do you guys think? Well, um, there there are some bits. There are some bits. I oh, yeah. can't tell you how excited I got when uh, in Draw's last scene when he claps <laughs> his head and calls for Zathras because yeah, because that's like a wait what yeah Moment, yeah if ever there was one. Well, I mean, then that it, all of a sudden you know that Epsilon Three has something to do with Babylon Four. And that's just that opens up a whole lot of stuff. And um, Shannon and I were both fortunate enough. I think you were watching it with me at the time when we mm-hmm. got to that point. And so we're watching it in real time. So, Erica, you had probably encountered Zathras. Mm-hmm. You, you probably saw War Without End before you saw this one, right? I think so. Okay. So, yep. but yeah, when he claps his hands and says Zathras, that's that's catnip. <laughs> Except I, I honestly don't think Stephen even caught that. 
Yeah, um, and, and yeah, if it's been long again, it's if it's been long enough, mm-hmm. you know, since you'd seen the previous episode, it, it's not the kind of thing, you know, you would necessarily. Even though it's pretty well highly, you know, spotlighted pretty strongly, never around when you need them. But yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it, it depends on what kind of viewer you are, right. and and the Lurker's Guide was a thing um, on yes. the on the web back then when when this stuff was coming out regularly. Uh, as if as a matter of fact, this may be one of the ones that our friend Jason Snell contributed to the um, to the page. Actually, it's the next one. Next one. The next gotcha. One. Yep. I but, was just looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're if you're that kind of obsessive fan, and this is the first show that had a really strong online following, I think. Um, X Files maybe had some of this as well. I can't remember the exact uh, timelines here, but dropping that word Zathras meant mm-hmm. something to the right kind of fan, and I don't think that. Uh, Stephen is the sort of fan who is into production codes for Doctor Who, but <laughs> yes. this isn't his first fandom, so I wouldn't expect mm-hmm. him to be uh, pouring over this stuff. Right. And I mean, even in Doctor Who fandom, which is his primary fandom, I don't think if it wasn't for the rest of the fandom feeding that kind of minute detail to him, he's he's not the frame by frame kind of guy. So, so I, mm-hmm. it didn't surprise me that that didn't perk him up at all. Yeah. Okay, but it sure did me. As a, yeah. Oh yeah, because <laughs> uh, because I loved Zathras and Zathras. You know, there's a great character in that one episode that we see him so far, uh, mm-hmm. and we only get to see we only get to see Zathras again in War Without End parts one and two. Uh, we get to see we get to see his brother Zathras later. Now, doesn't but... he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say his brother. Yes. Yeah, voices of authority. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, and speaking of actually, Drawl was led to yeah. one of the other few notes that I had about about future stuff. And then it's just the fact that he he talks about the coming darkness and he specifically mentions Sheridan's wife. And I just get mm-hmm. the feeling that that character actually knows that she's yeah. alive and she's out there somewhere because he's, you know, then he says specifically to Sheridan, you know, you've had a really hard year. I thought it would be good for you to know that there's, you know, uh, the possibility of hope. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like mm-hmm. he knows that that is something that is either coming or that that could very well be yeah. coming yeah um, and just he's he's he knows a lot and i get the feeling that that's one of the things that he knows i wonder yeah. if he's in communication with the vorlons or if he is off on his own you well, know since, the vorlons like he's the, listening in he, at least you're listening in i don't know that he's working with the vorlons considering he's mm-hmm. you know he, he's perfectly willing to help um in voices of authority uh, finding other first ones that the Vorlons aren't necessarily happy about. Good he, point. Good yeah. point. So I think Drawl is his own agent. Uh, yeah. And that the machine has helped him become something on the side next to the Vorlons, but not with them yep. in the army. Yeah. Kind of like the same way with Kosh, you know, in, in the crowd of, of the Rangers, you know, the Kosh is the only one there. We, um, As we will learn, you know, Kosh, I think, was much more sympathetic to, to the Alliance than a lot of other Vorlons were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something that slightly annoys me, I think, is the fact that, you know, Draw lays this, you know, and, and I understand, you know, you don't want to use the Duzex Machina machine too much. I understand that completely. Mm-hmm. But still, Draw's potential gets used so little in the rest of the series. Uh, Voices of Authority, where they go and Susan gets her turn in the machine to uh, start contacting first ones and then discovers, oh, hey, proof that Clark was behind uh, Santiago's assassination. 
Um, and then, of course, the flip end of Babylon Squared, World Without End, when we see that it was Epsilon 3's machine that opened the t- portal for the space station to go back in time. Yeah. It, they mention it in Severed Dreams with um, Susan asking Sheridan whether they need to call on Epsilon 3 to defend themselves from the Earth 4 ships that are headed their way. And, you know, Sheridan doesn't want to do that. But on the other hand, he'll use Drawl's fancy PA system to make an announcement across the station. Yeah, I think that the power of Epsilon 3 really only exists to open that portal. Mm-hmm. I th- and 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 to see things. I think everything else is just sort of like self-defense-ish stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and defending the planet, you know. Um mm-hmm. we never really see the planet doing anything to support Babylon 5 in Babylon 5 space. Mhm. So it used to bother me a lot, but it bothers me less since I sort of put this uh, head cannon bubble around the planet, saying that there, <laughs> this is the area of the, this is the area where the great machine has influence, and not so much elsewhere. Okay, yeah, it's kind of it- like the galaxy's you know best, most buffest listening station, and you know <laughs> not much more. Okay, a couple other things that. Uh, we will see in the future. Um, we mentioned pre-spoiler um, how the original actor for Drawl, uh, Louis Turin, uh, couldn't uh, reprise the role because of health issues. But they were able to find something for him to do later on because he comes back as Brother Theo. And I act, love Brother Theo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's helpful. So I mentioned that, you know, we get the Sheridan's introduction to the Rangers and Garibaldi's, you know, veiled hint, you know, that he kept the secret for a friend, which we will learn is Sinclair, eventually. Mm-hmm. Other things? Well, we do have, and this is just like a very, very minor thing that just sort of made me think, was uh, just just then when he's talking to Jakar, saying, you know, in the final analysis, your work here could be more important than a fleet of ships. And yeah. he's right. Not, not in quite the way probably he was expecting, but Jakar really, you know, after he has sort of his, his personal revelation becomes a real rallying mm-hmm. figure for not just the Narn, but for, you know, lots of folks in the, uh, in the yeah. conspiracy of light. Yeah, indeed. Um, and I think this is the, the first time that we, we realize that um, the Centauri are just about to burn almost every single boat they have when it comes to the rest of the uh, League of Non-Aligned Worlds and Babylon 5's alliance, because they are going to basically be all alone until the last possible minute when it comes to the Shadows and the Vorlons coming after them to eradicate the Shadows from their home world. That part is the start of something really ugly. I'm I'm racking my brain for other for other future forward things, but no, like like so many other late season two episodes, this is more about resolving rather than. Mm-hmm spinning new things off and i think that's part of why we spent so much time squeeing and why we were so (laughs) excited about this episode it seems like the truly big momentous ones but you know sometimes they do ask some questions for the future but really the reason that we get so jazzed up about them is because we're getting a little bit of resolution to things or Mm -hmm. we're seeing something pay off or we're getting culmination of of something that's been that's been happening so we get that sort of you know like ecstasy of oh my god they did it um so mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me that we have less to talk about in this section here. You know, you're right, because when we get to middle of the next season, uh, when we get to messages from Earth 
Point of No Point Return, of no return and, and Severed, Severed Dreams, Dreams, which is the episode that everybody always talks about, Severed Dreams. Why? Because it's the big break. It's the um, it, it it is the culmination. Yes, mm-hmm. it spins things off in a different area area because Babylon Five secedes, but that isn't at that point. It doesn't feel like the beginning of a story. It feels like the end of one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just get like the one pan to an ominous looking poster is like your only hint of disquiet at that at that point of victory. Well, if we can't think of anything else to talk about going forward, um, we can wrap it up now. Uh, as, again, uh, people who stayed to listen to the last part, uh, check out uh, Comes the Inquisitor for the next episode. Come chat with us on Twitter and Tumblr, B5 Audio Guide. Come chat at the website, b5audioguide.com. And until next time, this is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5.